This is episode 29 of the Angry Tech News Podcast for Tuesday, April 5th, 2022. This is the Angry Tech News Podcast at angrytechnews.com. Now your host, the Angry It's time again to clean out the tabs on the old news browser. Some of the stories in today's episode are, well, they're from late last month, possibly because they didn't fit into previous episodes. You know, I've been very, very busy. It may also be because I missed a deadline writing them up, or perhaps it's simply because I was feeling charitable toward other tech-oriented podcasts whose self-worth is measured in how many times they can scoop the big boys. I don't apologize for this. I never promised you daily tech news, only that it would be angry. And the angriest of tech news sometimes needs a few days to flex, to breathe, to let the story develop, ferment, and seethe like a fine wine. Good sarcasm takes time, you know. From the Supply Train Wreck Department. Let's get this one out of the way. There was a story, it's about two weeks old now, a pretty big one, about an open source supply chain attack. At first, I skipped over it because it was yet another tech story about some woke moron who got it into his head to become an impromptu political activist and try to screw over people he's never met far away in Russia, presumably because it's what all his TikTok friends were doing. But I got to thinking about the story some more and realized that this is big. This idiot went way farther than just changing his icon. He may have fundamentally changed how open source software is developed. Also, I got called out on another podcast for not covering the story. And of course, it is one of the unwritten rules of the internet that you must respond to trolls when they've donated to your podcast, of course. Look it up. So yeah, if you listen to other tech news, you've already heard this one, but you haven't heard it on Angry Tech News. The attack, now dubbed CVE 2022-23812, was a seemingly deliberate change made by the maintainer of the Node IPC package distributed via the NPM package manager. Through the magic of microservices architecture, Node IPC is automatically incorporated into hundreds of other Node packages, which are themselves included in other packages and so on, causing the infected package to be downloaded millions of times in the few days that the vulnerability was up. It has been given a CVSS vulnerability score of 9.8 critical. What the malicious code did for most people, was to display a political message to the user denouncing war and supporting Ukraine. If that was the only thing that this package did, I'd already be really annoyed. Despite what millions of millennials and Zoomers may have been taught in those activism, activism indoctrination camps that we call public schools, your political message of the week does not belong all up in everybody's face, especially when you're in a non-political context. In the real world, you have to interact with people you might disagree with. This is contrasted with, say, Facebook or Reddit, where the moderators and censors enforce a single hive mind groupthink. Whether you realize it or not, it is possible to have a civil conversation with such people around such topics as commerce, weather, or whether they want fries with that. But not if you go into every interaction waving your political genitals in people's faces, bringing up divisive topics that are completely irrelevant to the topic at hand. You want a divided society? This is how you get a divided society. Ugh. I haven't even been this pissed off since. 
since some shit-stained Minecraft mod developer named Vasky forced my kids to stare at Black Lives Matter propaganda for 10 minutes before he'd let the game launch. Suffice it to say, I've never run any of this dipshit's mods since. Anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah. So this malicious package shat a political message onto users all over the world. Yeah, that's bad. But it also ran a geolocation on the user's IP address, and if that geolocation came back as either Russia or Belarus, then the infected package also started systematically overwriting all data in the user's files with heart emojis. So there's that. Being open source, you'd think that someone would have looked over the changes before it was deployed to millions of computers. You'd think that. First of all, I don't think NPM works that way. If you're the project maintainer, I think you just get to check in and push your code to immediately be downloaded by auto-updaters. No human interaction required. But even if I'm incorrect about that point, the dev, who goes by the name RIA Evangelist, obfuscated the code. The new module created a number of base64 encoded strings, that random alphanumeric gibberish that you see at the end of misbehaving URLs, which was then decoded at runtime and executed. A reviewer looking at the source code would have to manually decode those garbage strings and step through the decoding process in order to find out what it did, a technique employed often by another class of software that we call malware. And so this new malware code went out into the wild, spreading RIA Evangelist political opinion of the week and occasionally deleting important data. Both ZDNet and Wired, where I found the stories, were able to find someone to interview who lost data because of this prick. The stories didn't mention it, but I'd also put down money that the intended targets, the Russian civilians who have no more control over Putin's actions than most Americans have over sleepy Joe Biden, were not the only people who lost data. Geolocation has never been all that accurate, and stories of geolocation errors go back decades. It persists because so many people have a burning need to restrict content and the persist delusion that somehow an IP address can be used as a proxy for physical location. But it's not. So I bet this hack screwed over not only Russians, but also Ukrainians and Americans and others who may have been in or near Russia, Europeans whose ISP routed them too close to Russia, or any number of VPN users who pack, whose packets bounced through the wrong block of IPs. But the effect of this moron's actions go far beyond some lost data. He violated the trust that people had placed in him, trust of the Node IPC library, trust of the NPM code repository, and trust of open source in general. As I've discussed before on this show, trust is the only real currency that we have on the internet, especially open source software. And it's really hard to get back once you've lost it. If there's any justice in the world, then RIA Evangelist will never be trusted to beta test a video game again, a video game again let alone write code that underpins the entire internet. In a fair world, this guy would be, he would be facing criminal charges. The real pushback on trust won't come from people like me, who are always angry anyway, but from corporations, risk-averse organizations with a lot to lose, who were already wary of open source code because of its questionable quality, and now who have to question its security as well. Not long after this malware was discovered, several organizations, including Russia's Ministry of Information and several banks, issued notices instructing clients to stop updating software and to disable automatic updates. While I'm not the biggest fan of software that applies updates without user review, I don't think I need to point out that an internet where people no longer take updates, even security patches, because they're never quite sure if it's going to contain a malicious supply chain hack, is not a recipe for a safe and secure internet. Coincidentally, while I was researching this, a second, much more mundane NPM malware story kept popping up. 
A threat actor has apparently been using bots to create NPM developer accounts in order to upload malware packages targeting Azure users with a typo squatting attack. For example, if there's a package called Azure slash core tracing, the bots would upload a package named core tracing without the prefix, trying to catch out developers who just didn't type out the whole thing. The payload of this malware was much less political, simply installing keyloggers and backdoors and stealing personal information. You know, the usual. But overall, not a great week for NPM. From the rampant speculation department, Netflix released a press release last month that has got the entire tech news core freaking out that they are going to suddenly crack down on people sharing passwords. The amount of digital ink spilled about this one story beats almost anything else in the last two weeks, save the Russia-Ukraine thing. But we'd rather not talk about that anymore. Let's start with what Netflix actually announced. Really not much. They're creating a pilot program for two new features. The first one enables users to transfer out a profile from one account into its own Netflix account, keeping their viewing history, recommendations, whatever. The other feature allows account holders to add, quote, up to two people that they don't live with to their account. The new users get their own profile and their own login and password, and the old users get an increased monthly bill. These two features are being test piloted in three South and Central American countries, Chile, Costa Rica, and Peru. That was pretty much it for the Netflix announcement. That and some language about password sharing that doesn't really say anything, but strongly suggests that they no longer approve of it. Anything else you've heard or read about Netflix is nothing more than conjecture and speculation. We here at Angry Tech News are, of course, not above conjecture and speculation, so let's conject and speculate. Both of these features represent an objectively inferior value proposition to the status quo, that of simply using someone else's account. The extra member feature raises your bill a few bucks a month for no marginal benefit. The transfer out feature effectively doubles your bill for two people. So the only reason any rational customer would take advantage of one of these would be if Netflix intends to upset the status quo and destroy the value proposition of the current state. That most likely means enforcement. The language that Netflix uses in their release, people who don't live with each other, is interesting. Normally, you'd check that with a street address, but you don't give Netflix an address when you create a profile for your buddy across town. So how do you enforce something like this? Well, the smart money is on geolocation. And so, yes, it seems likely that Netflix is going to start using some kind of IP geolocation to verify that two devices on the same account are in the same, quote, household. How much of a terrible idea this is depends entirely on how strictly they decide to enforce it. They could try to just simply shame or annoy people into compliance. Maybe a pop-up during the primary account's movie. Like, hey, XYZ device just popped up. Is this you? Or, you know, they could go the other route and start banning accounts. Here, I've reached the end of my willingness to guess at what the company's plans are. But I will tell you that if you, they start using geolocation to enforce their arbitrary one-household rule, it's going to backfire. One problem I see is VPNs. Well, actually, no problem for Netflix. They already persecute anybody with a VPN, so why start now? A bigger problem will be households like mine with multiple ISPs. As I record this, my wife and I are in the same house only a few meters apart, but on the internet, we're coming in from completely different networks with completely different companies and even different routes to the Seattle backbone. Will they decide to ban my account because of that? Maybe they will. After all, John C. Dvorak and I are probably the only people on the left coast with multiple ISPs in the same house, but almost anybody with broadband and a mobile plan can do exactly the same thing with tethering. Are they going to start enforcing that? Will they crack down on mobile browsers and force you to use their app? Maybe they will. Even without the edge cases, 
I said just a few minutes ago that geolocation is inaccurate. I can only hope that Netflix has thought this through more than I have or my tech pundits have, because this can backfire dramatically on the company. In the internet age, it's very dangerous to take away something that you've already given to users. Users love it when you hand them something that they've never had before, but if you give it to them, then you take it away. They get super pissy. I don't know. Maybe Netflix is banking on their originals being so compelling that users will put up with a little bit of abuse. I think that's probably true. I mean, the company is hugely popular. I'll give them that. But in the last two years, they've been coasting almost entirely on inertia and lockdowns with people can't leave the house. I honestly can't think of anything they've done recently that I'd be willing to double my monthly bill for. Most of it is just woke stuff and and taking existing properties and turning all the main actors black or something. Anyway, to reiterate, the company has done nothing so far but to announce two new features from the press release, quote, Lost revenue from password sharing is impacting our ability to invest in great new TV and films. Yeah, I've seen the TV and films that Netflix invests in. When exactly do they plan on releasing any great ones? From the In the Headlights department, there's a little bit of good tech news on the right to repair front, at least. John Deere, a company outmatched only by Apple in their utter hostility toward their own customers when it comes to working on the products they purchased, has announced expanded access to repair and diagnostic tools. In May, the company will start selling licenses to its proprietary advisor software, previously only available to official John Deere dealerships and necessary to diagnose many of the issues with the equipment that is increasingly becoming more smartphone and less tractor by the year. Beginning next year, the company says that they will also roll out an enhanced customer solution that includes a mobile device interface, which sounds to me like a lot of words to describe an app. The app, or uh, enhanced customer solution, will come with the ability to download secure software updates directly to embedded controllers on the equipment, which, I mean, that sounds like it's going to use a lot of DRM, just in case you thought maybe you'd be able to tinker with the software on on equipment that you purchased in ways like the first sale doctrine is supposed to guarantee, not looking likely. Still, it's a small win on the side of right to repair. Take it where you can get it, I guess. Now, if only we can get Apple to allow us to replace our cracked screens without having to mortgage the house for a single squirt of their proprietary glue solvent. From the every day is zero day department, Google has issued an advisory for the second critical zero day security update this year in the Chrome browser. An exploit for CVE 2022-1096 exists in the wild, according to the security advisory, which did not release any technical details of the exploit. The company urges users to check for updates and patch to at least Chrome version 99.0.4844 as soon as possible. You know the drill. Your browser is once again in danger. Be sure to download the fix before visiting any malicious websites. The one technical detail we know is that the named vulnerability is a JavaScript type confusion weakness in the Chrome V8 engine, which means that the only people who have anything to worry about are all of you people who don't take my advice and disable JavaScript for the whole web. Sure, it makes most of your social media sites impossible to browse, but I consider that to be a feature. Your browser is inarguably more secure that way, and there is mounting evidence that your brain will be healthier without all that social media as well. So 
Nobody came in with the PayPal donations this week, but I'll give that a pass for now. It's only been four days since the last Angry Tech News, and I probably caught you all by surprise. I do need to give an angry thank you, though, to the many anonymous users of Castomatic, Podfriend, Fountain, Breeze, and CurioCaster who have sent streaming sats and boosted to my cobbled-together homegrown Bitcoin Lightning node. Most of those donations are anonymous, which is, as of course, you're right. There were also boosts from A-Gates, Orange Frog, Dirty Jersey Whore, and The Pilgrim, who specifically boosted the total recall review that I did with Bemlet, with the message that he hated the show because he hates Hollywood and to only do tech news from here on. Not to worry, The Pilgrim, you won't get any more movie reviews in this feed unless they also happen to be tech news. I'm not even sure how that would work, but I'm leaving the option open. If you want to get in on the boosting, I recommend that you go out to newpodcastapps.com or, as most of the shows on the No Agenda stream have now started saying, nudepodcastapps.com, which is a fantastic typo. I love it. I fully approve. And for those of you who want more Bemrose Boys reviews, we will be starting a new podcast feed specifically for those, to which you'll be able to subscribe separately from Angry Tech News. No word on the schedule for that at least partly because my would-be co-host still hasn't got into the habit of mentioning to me when he leaves town for several days at a time. Angry Tech News is produced on the value-for-value value model. We don't take sponsors, we don't play ads, and we don't charge you to listen, but we are funded by your donations. If you received some value from listening to this show, please send some back. Go to angrytechnews.com and click on the donate button. Send what you think this episode was worth to you, whether it's 5 bucks, 25 bucks, or 1000 That's it for now. I'm Ryan Bemrose, the angry programmer with a mic. I'll be back next time with more Angry Tech News. This has been Angry Tech News with the angry programmer Ryan Bemrose at angrytechnews.com. Stay angry. Stay angry. Stay 